With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Drivers! Start your engines! It's the pace car! What for? Because you hit every other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. Can't see him. He talks to me. He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you. And rubbing son is racing. Hey race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network and welcome to Drafting the Circus. My name is Frank Santoroski, I'll be your host for the next hour as we go through everything racing. Joining me in the studio tonight, i got Richard Uden, Luis Torres, and Joey Barnes. Fellas, how we doing? Good, thank you. Hey, good. good. Now, now, Joey, it's been a while since you've been on the show. You've been doing some, you've been putting out some really nice articles for Auto Week, and you've been writing for some other uh, outlets here and there. So, uh, I, I mean, I understand you're freelancing now. So, uh, just get a go, get us up to speed on what you've been up to because it's been a while since we've been able to talk. Yeah, so um, had a chance to to do some copy editing work uh, late last year with Racer, um, and that's kind of got extended a little bit to where I do stuff periodically with them. Uh, and then also on the on the writing side, I still get to kind of delve into IndyCar on a on a pretty deeper basis than maybe what I was previously, and uh, just contributing with, with AutoWeek, doing some IndyCar stuff there. Uh, had a chance to, to dabble in some Formula One stuff. Hopefully I get to do a little bit more of that. And uh, and yeah, just kind of getting ready for the season to finally start. Uh, was in St. Pete a couple months ago when this pandemic crap started, and <laughs> just eager to get get racing in Texas. All right, now, so Joe, you've had a, uh, you've talked to a number of the IndyCar guys, right? And and uh, are you getting kind of a any kind of feel from them for the? Uh, it seems to be a little easier to. To get folks to talk right now, since there's no races and whatnot, and uh, uh, I mean, you know, they're, they're all out on social media. They're doing this, doing that, trying to uh, keep themselves in the spotlight uh, somehow or another, with no racing season yet until we get to Texas in June. But uh, have you found that the um, IndyCar guys that you've spoken with are a little more approachable now? Some, uh, it's, it's kind of the same as, as it has been, at least on my end, but, uh, only for, through social media, way more, uh, you know, I, I obviously haven't been here in a minute, so I guess my viewpoints on kind of catching everything up to speed from my end is just, 
I think that IndyCar really hit uh, a home run, and so did the drivers with this iRacing thing. Uh, one, I think traditionally speaking, we've had such a long off season to begin with, from September till March, essentially, that we found something that whenever we finally have a normal season and a normal off season. Being able to kind of tap into that iRacing bit to keep the sport relevant, to keep sponsors involved, to keep people engaged, to make sure that essentially the rest of the world doesn't forget about IndyCar racing, uh, I, I think they hit a home run there. So, um, But as such, the drivers have certainly had to be more engaged. Uh, what's really weird is I actually found that it was tougher at times because – IndyCar would release at the beginning of the week where they were going, right? And you run into a scenario where they're sim, they're on their sim all week practicing because they don't want to get their asses handed to them, and so they're they're occupying their time doing that, and they uh, they don't really have a whole lot of time for much else. So, um, you know, it's like the traditional argument with my generation of you know if you have, if you're not working, you're playing video games, and the wife is kind of annoyed. So. Um, you know, kind of the same same habitat there. But um, no, I I tell you this is I think that we're in for a very fun treat whenever we finally get going in Texas, because, yeah, the drivers have been easier to get a hold of. They've been easier to talk to. Uh, I think where everybody erred on the side of caution early on, I think now everybody's just like, look, like, take it or leave it. We got to get back to racing. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So now Texas is just, uh, you know, a week and a half away. We're going to do it without fans. Uh, and, you know, Joey, uh, Texas is right in your backyard. You've uh, you've been in and, that, in and out of that facility a bunch. So, I mean, how's this going to look, you know, with without fans for IndyCar? Because we've seen how it looks for NASCAR, and it's, it's interesting but different. I mean – Truthfully, I think that as much as I kind of sometimes dog NASCAR on a few things, uh, and y'all know I like to do that quite often, uh, I've got to give props to the fact that like <laughs> what they've been able to do on a, from a broadcast perspective has been really good to keep everybody engaged. Uh, they certainly had a challenge the other night with the Coke 600, but Darlington was a home run, not just from the racing product itself, but also just from – from what they've been able to do to make sure that they keep the camera on the attention you need to. Um, that said, like we were already seeing a drop in attendance pretty dramatically anyway on a, on a racing front on a lot of places, a lot of venues. Uh, there's obviously some exceptions, exceptions to that, like Daytona and Indy and things of that sort. But um, I thought that that was a really good job by them. I think it's going to transition to IndyCar quite a bit. I think it's kind of good that Jay Fry um, – and, and his group over at IndyCar have had a chance to kind of see the process a little bit. And that NBC in some ways has been able to kind of see what Fox does um, to know the positives and negatives, what to kind of play with, what not to. But I think that this is a home run that we're going to get a prime time race uh, on NBC, not NBCSN. And it's like the first prime time race since 2013. And, the fact that we're going to have one qualifying, you know, one qualifying bit, one one practice bit, and then we're just going to go racing in a, in a small one-day show. Uh, it wasn't that long ago that we had something like that at Texas. Uh, if you all recall, James Hinchcliffe is the longest tenured lap leader in the history of racing because that race got rained out and we couldn't get it back on in, June, in its typical June date. And we came back in August and finished it up in a one-day show. 
And um, so Texas is kind of familiar with that. They're kind of familiar with how to engage uh, with fans and different things of that sort. But since there's nothing else going on, I think that we're going to have some really good coverage from that standpoint. I think the racing product is going to be good. I think the trickier thing about this is we've got some guys in this field that have limited track time and one practice may not be enough. I mean, they've been doing Sims this whole time and they're not going to get a crack at, at a track beforehand to test their practice. So, uh, I, from that standpoint, I think that, um, the rookie in- orientation for a lot of the guys was big, uh, for the guys that haven't had the oval, uh, practice, but, um, I, there's no, we're in for come uh, June 6th. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting point that you bring up with uh, the, the guys, the rookies, who've not driven on a track in their first, you know, time in IndyCar at speed is going to be at Texas, which can be you know, daunting. Uh, but you got you know, but you got some guys in there like, uh, uh, you know, ask you one who who and they've written. They've they've driven Texas in um, lights and whatnot, but uh, I mean, what's how are these guys feeling? I mean, I would I would expect everybody's feeling as about as good as you could feel, right? Without having a chance to step in the car and knock off the rust. Um, but yeah, I, I I think that guys like Oliver, I think certain guys that can lean on veteran teammates, um, they're gonna probably be in seamlessly. Um, I don't know off the top of my head what the practice time is going to be. I think it was 90 minutes of practice time for Texas. I, I'm not sure. I'd have to look that up, but there should be plenty of track time there to be able to kind of dissect the the practice periods to kind of get a little bit adapted. I think the trickier thing there is you're going to get used to daytime running at Texas in June, and we both know that you know this place can get a little warm. Uh, come summertime down here so uh i'm kind of interested to see when you get used to the slipping and the sliding that's all great um but you get to nighttime and the field bunches up and we get tighter racing and how do you handle things in traffic because as as we all know when you get into practice you're a little less reluctant to put your car in those situations so i really think that experience is going to pay off big time i don't think we're going to run into a scenario where a guy who's got such limited uh, experience in the series is really going to shine. I would be hard pressed to say that it's going to be reminiscent to how we used to talk about Darlington back in the day with NASCAR, that rookies just don't go there and do well. Uh, I think it's a similar situation. There's usually heavy tire fall off, uh, which usually helps enhance the race. So it's going to be interesting to see how it develops. Oh, it certainly will. Yeah. So uh, now Louise, you have a comment. Yeah, I had a comment. I was going to say, well, it will be for sure interesting how Texas will pan out without crowds. But fortunately, that waiting game won't have to wait much longer, which not going to lie, this IndyCar season, I'm definitely looking forward to see how it is with just the crop of rookies and also the veterans. Because I feel like this crop of rookies could deliver, but it's just a matter of this crisis, how will it impact their performances? Because it's been a real long break. Especially when testing at Road, no, not Road America, Circuit of the Americas was in February. So there could be some rust, but also an interesting development going on to that race for sure. 
Yeah, and, you know, the one thing I would add to this is, you know, unlike NASCAR, you know, the other day when, when they kicked off, restarted their season at Darlington, uh, we saw guys like John Hunter Nemechek and, and Tyler Reddick really rise to the occasion. And you could really attribute some of that to obviously the car, but a lot of it to driver because without practice, without anything else, the, the premium was on adaptability, which really helped the talent pool rise to the top. However, these, you know, a crop of young drivers there and, and Nemechek and, and Reddick, they had a chance to have a few cup races. They had a chance to have an opportunity to kind of get in the car and run 500 miles. They haven't had that in IndyCar. This is this is the start of the season. It's not a restart. Um, so these these rookies haven't been able to test themselves in actual race conditions, unlike maybe some of the cup guys, which is why that even though talent usually wins uh, overall, uh, there's there's no substitute for, for track time, especially in this scenario. All right, now, Richard, you've been kind of quiet. So uh, we actually did have a NASCAR race this weekend. Coke mm-hmm. Did you have a chance to yeah. watch it? I did, yeah. No, it was, uh, uh, I mean, you wonder, was it a good race or have we just been starved of sort of racing that any? <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that's the rub, right? You know, Chase Elliott could have been two for two, um, you know, if it wasn't for, uh, you know, the, the coming together with Kyle at uh, Darlington and the late race call. Um, uh, for uh, you know the, the the restart with a couple of laps to go there, where his teammate actually lost a tire or cut a tire, and uh, uh, that sort of uh, cost him the race, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, I thought you know it's pretty entertaining, and this is sort of you know NASCAR's got what four races in four days. You know the truck race is going on as we record right now, and then there's the second cup race tomorrow. So the the they're cramming them in, and they're off to Bristol this weekend. So. Uh, yeah, you know, it's coming thick and fast. It's great from a fan's perspective, although they can't be at the at the at the, actually at the track, you know, to watch it on TV. It's uh, it's pretty entertaining having back to back, you know, races every night. Yeah, I mean, to your point, the, the TV coverage has been pretty darn, darn good, man. You know, like we're uh, we yeah. talked about talked about it last week. You know, even without fans in the stands, they've done a nice job I of mean, trying to, you know, you know, get us all in the loop of what's going on. But um, I, I, but, but let's talk about let's talk don't. about Chase Elliott and that yeah that curious call to come into pits with three laps to go on a green white checker. Um, the problem is if if he hadn't pitted, everybody else would have done, and he'd have been just destroyed. So right, it's right. Do, but but you, you know, know, if you think about it, have, if if there were multiple green white checkers, he'd have been in the catbird oh. seat. Oh sure, but you. Yeah. you know, but then, but then, if there's another green white checker, then it shuffles around because other people make that call. You know, it, it, it's playing the percentage, isn't it? And as soon as he pits, you know, everybody else stays out, or vice versa. You know, even if he'd stayed out, you know, a couple of others who were down in like twentieth or you know the guy who's like. Yeah. Atlanta or Darlington or something like that. You know, Charlotte's not as abrasive on the tyres. You know, it's, I mean, Darlington and new tyres like two and a half seconds or something, isn't that? But um, so, I was a little bit surprised at that call, especially as you'd seen um, at a couple of runs there. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino style games to choose from, you too could win life changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Guys on old tires, you know, if they get the clean air, they're still competitive. Now, if they get shuffled back, that's when the guys on the tires were starting to struggle. Um, but you know, you, you could be there was there was restarts there where guys on old tires had stayed out and were at the front of the pack and could hold their own quite comfortably. So, a little bit of an unusual call. But as I say, if he stays out, everybody else pits, and you know, he's he's sixth by the exit of turn two. You know. Yeah. Louise, what were your thoughts on that? <sighs> I've seen it before. It's like, it's like an old rerun with good old Jeff Gordon when he had Gustafson on top of the pit box. Not a pretty outcome. But fortunately, in Elliot's case, he was actually able to capitalize up but unfortunate to get a runner-up spot at the end. Yeah. So, fortunately for him, he got that positive, even though there's no joy after everything that has just happened, especially when he went on an expletive rant over the radio. And as far as the whole thing with the Darlington ordeal, that's just one of those things where, fortunately for Kyle, he owed up to it, and everything's all fine between the most popular driver and probably the number one villain in the sport, which to no surprise, because I knew it was going to end up that way, much to what the fans are saying on social media. All right, so... Now, now Brad Keselowski won the 600, right? That's a guy whose career I've followed forever. Uh, I just, you know, he's big, I, I'm a big fan of his. Whenever I watch Brad, he always seems to have a car that has very strong in the restarts, and mm-hmm. on, a, on a long run, he fades, right? And you've got other guys there, you know, his own contemporaries, like a, like a Harvick or a Truex, whose, car, whose cars are very, very strong on long, long runs, right? I'm just wondering, you know, for myself, Richard, and you have a lot of experience in yep. setting, up, setting up cars in NASCAR. Um, is this something to do with Brad's setup that he uh, is better on the restarts and weaker on the long runs, uh, or what? So, I mean, I mean, because um, because Brad Brad was out of it. He was he was gone. He had lost this race until this last restart. So. Um, I think it's something that uh, you you see it comes to a fore, especially at some of the road courses with that car. They they take, and I think they do it in the, the, a lot of the oval races as well. They they work backwards, so they'll actually go from when Sunday they'll say right, okay, well, what is you know, when do we want them, if everything goes green or goes to 
No. You're still there, Richard? No. Hello? Yeah, Richard, you cut out a little bit, so uh, could you start sorry, your thought, thought over again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. Let, let me go and uh, sit near my... Sort of work backwards from the end of the race through to the start. So they'll be like, okay, well, you know, take Charlotte, for example. The average caution, last caution, is 40 laps from the end of the race. They'll set up their car for a 40 lap or a 20 lap run or a 10 lap run, whatever it may be. And, you know, they are pretty efficient in that. Excuse me. They, they do tend to, you know, make the best of a, you know, as, as you say, um, Frank, you know, they often appear from nowhere at the end of the race. And I thought, well, how the hell did they end up winning that or getting a top five or whatever when for the majority of the race they've been running around in 20th? And that's something that as a group and as a team, they just seem to click gel doing that. And it, and it works for them. So, uh, and also it may be partly Brad's driving style. And he may be aggressive on tyres and they know that. And they're like, well, you know what? Let's just go with it. You know, if you're not a, if you're not a driver that is kind on your tyres, want of a better word, then take advantage of it. You know, don't, don't try and make something that you, you're never going to achieve. Let's take your strengths or your driving style and try and optimise that. All right, good stuff, Richard. So uh, now, Louise, uh, Joey, Richard, we had a couple of other races this weekend, uh, Xfinity and trucks and whatnot. So uh, any, any of you guys want to fill us in on some other uh, of that stuff? I think I could jump in on the Xfinity stuff. Well, so far among the National Touring Series, we'll see how the Truck Series panned out. The Xfinity Series has put on probably the better overall product, especially at Darlington when you add that feel-good story of, Probably of 2020 so far in the racing campaign is concerned where Chase Briscoe just gave it his all, battling it out with Kyle Busch for the race win. And Briscoe just held him off. And as he said, the Lord was with them with the last couple of laps. For those who are not aware of what was going on with Briscoe is that a few days before he won at Darlington in a thrilling finish, it was a really good battle to the very end, that that his wife Marissa had a miscarriage, which... Obviously, it's no, it's a very tragic, very difficult situation that he has gone through. For him to win a win like that, definitely, it's it's one of those stories that you'll never forget. Whereas at Charlotte, okay, whereas at Charlotte, it was pretty clean up until the very end of the race, where Emerson just started to crumble with several drivers. Getting a little bit antsy late in the race, as you would expect, to the point that Kyle Busch referred the Xfinity Series as the new ARCA Series, well, the way everybody were driving at the end, where you had Tommy Joe Martis, who probably would have had a top 10. He was right there, but he got caught up in somebody else's mess. The car is completely destroyed, which really discouraged him a lot. But in the end, it was Austin Sendrick who was one corner away from winning on an oval for the first time on the National Touring Series, especially on the Xfinity level. But Kyle Busch snookered him and got his nice win. But all in all, the Xfinity Series has brought up some good stuff, especially at Charlotte after the 600, which you can say it was very underwhelming. All right, so underwhelming 600. But, Richard, you've got some comments on the disqualification. <laughs> I mean, you know... Our, our buddy JJ was right up yeah. there in the mix all night long at, at 600. Uh, I believe he crossed the finish line second or third. Second, yeah. 
second, and well, I mean, and, and, and he ended up finishing last due to disqualification. Yeah. So, um, talk talk us through that. Now, first of all, I just want to make a comment on Hendrick Motorsport in general. They've been probably the strongest team so far this year. I mean, you know, with all four drivers, I don't think they've won a race yet this year, but they've all been, you know, there was long periods of time where, like, they had four of the top six or four of the top seven cars on uh, Sunday night there. And, you know, same in, you know, Jimmy was leading stage one at Darlington um, on, on the first, Darlington first race before he, he spun out and uh, hit the wall there. But, you know, they're looking good. And, I mean, Jimmy Johnson's got a 600 odd day losing streak for you know, it's almost two years now isn't it and uh, I don't think it's, I think you know if they keep performing it's not going to be a million miles before Jimmy Johnson wins the race I don't think anybody would be, would be begrudging that I think everyone wants to see him get back in the winner's circle especially in his final year out there and have a shot at the championship because the guy's you know fantastic at 44 I think he is now still to be uh, you know driving at the high end of, of, of his profession you take a lot of credit there but as you say, Frank, he was disqualified from the race on Sunday night. They it was an unusually failed post-race inspection. Normally it's at the tech centre where they find these issues, but they didn't even get that far. Um, and it was to do with the rear geometry of the car, I believe. And it was so out of alignment, the team have said that, oh, it was a, a part had broken. Now, whether or not it was, I, I don't know. But what sort of... Um, frustrated me and annoyed me a little bit it was a statement by Jay Fabian who's the uh, Cup Series director for, for NASCAR so you know the, the guy that runs the um, you know runs the sport pretty much and one of the um, you know he's coming the number 48 ran strong all night I hate it for them they had good car performance well it's like well you 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 know, that isn't a comment that a, a you know, director of the sport who's just disqualified somebody should be making. You know, it, it, it's too personal. You know, we all know as fans that the 48 was running well. We don't need that from you. We need... This is where I think NASCAR just... If this was a Formula 1 or an IndyCar or another racing series, you wouldn't have the Formula 1 race director going, oh, you know, I felt really sorry for... You know, whoever, oh, they had a great race, but we had to, you know, you just wouldn't get that. It would be clear cut, press release, bang, done. And I just think sometimes NASCAR just, people will be reading that and go, really? Yeah, what, which, which side of the fence do these guys sit on? I mean, I don't know what you guys think. I just, to me, it just sounded a little bit unprofessional, that was all. Yeah, it was a little weird, you know, after the fact, when I saw, um, so how's the truck race going on tonight? I'm, well, getting, I'm getting conflicting reports right here. Well, well, not just that. It's just getting pretty hair. We've had our Natalie Decker moment of the night in the truck series where she was involved in an incident. And it's getting pretty truck series to say the least. I know that's not a word, but that's how I'll describe yeah. the shenanigans. But otherwise, out in front, it's been pretty competitive all around. A couple drivers like Zane Smith is giving Cowboys a run for his money. Austin Hill has been right up there all night long. We're getting down to it. I think it's going to be a hell of a battle. Well, we're going to see, hopefully, depending on the shenanigans that transpires afterwards. You don't normally see them get this sort of truck series as you put it, on the mile and a half. Normally, this is on, like, the smaller trucks, isn't it? They... 
they do seem to be getting a little bit aggressive, you know, for, for, for a mile and a half. I mean, it's been 94, 95 days since they last run. It's been, exactly. It's, <laughs> I think first couple stages, they were just fine. But then the third stage, like last night with the Xfinity race, is where all the crazy stuff happens. And, I mean, it is difficult as well, you know, as they were saying before the race on the TV coverage. A lot of these guys have never raced at Charlotte before. Never mind, you know, in a you know top you know top to NASCAR event. So uh, yeah, it's interesting to see how they get on. And it's getting getting a little bit, uh, you know, some wide wide elbows, aren't they? Yeah, at the very least, the telecast. I know that was brought up a bit ago. They've done exceptional by Fox standards. They have done an exceptional job covering. A couple of drivers outside of the main guys, battles from yeah, outside yeah. the main. So they've done well. Sure, they can have a little bit of room and improvement to discuss like certain scenarios, like I mentioned Tommy Joe. But compared to last year and the past few years, they've done a lot better, and that is for sure when it comes to their telecast. I thought, who you know, watching the Xfinity race last night, I thought it was good. You know, the, the Jamie Murray and uh, Clint Boyer on there. I thought those two guys worked really well together. But it was interesting to see that at Bristol this weekend they've got the Bush brothers doing the telecast for the Xfinity series, which will be uh, that'll be an interesting one. See how those guys got on together. Yeah, I think that I, I could have swore back at Daytona they've already confirmed the Bush brothers were going to do Bristol. So I think yeah. when everything that has happened, they just wanted to reconfirm. And I know during the video conference, one of the reporters brought it up that they just wanted a confirmation how that thing came about, but. Or That's at least it means Kyle won't win. win. You know, maybe yeah. he's actually going to do the coverage while driving. You know, mm. wouldn't that be something? a bit more interesting. <laughs> but you see, when, apparently, when um, when when he came second uh, in the sec- in the Darlington race last last week, uh, Clint Voyer apparently sent him a text saying, "Oh, you know, great race in there. You know, and looking, you didn't, you know, get the win. You can't win them all." And he sent the text back saying, "Yes, I can." <laughs> <laughs> so. Speaking of ways, well, we had so much e-racing lately, or i-racing rather. Um, what's up with this uh, story about Daniel Apt fired oh, from yeah. the Formula E team for getting in a posture to race for him on the on the on the i-race? I mean, Basically, that, that, yeah. That is just crazy because we've seen. Oh, you know, as we started the i-race, we saw, you know, Bubba Wallace lose a sponsor. Yeah. We saw. You know, Kyle Larson. Larson loses his job, and now Daniel <laughs> Apt is the next guy to lose yeah. a job. So, um, which of you guys know uh, a lot about this one and wants to delve into this I've story because it's interesting? Yeah, I mean, I've been reading a little bit on this one, and Formula E have had like a, an official series called Racing at Home or whatever it whatever it may be, like Formula Formula E from Home or something along the those lines. Race Race at Home Challenge. Race at Home. And and there's some you know there's there's money flowing around in the thousand dollars to the winner or whatever it was and I think most of the time it's been donated to charity but it's still you know it's a little bit more than you know some spotty twelve year olds driving and you know playing a computer game you know they're taking it pretty seriously now apparently in the previous races up to now Daniel Apt has like been last and is just hopeless at these eye racing events so. In his words, oh, as a bit of a joke, I got a ringer in to take my place. And and this guy, they're all on these Twitch streams or whatever it is. And um, 
but apparently his face was obscured during the, the stream, and he only finishes third. And some people were saying, this is a bit weird, you know, third, you were hopeless, you know. So anyway, some suspicions were aroused, and then before he could go public with, oh, it was a joke, uh, apparently it came out that, uh, yeah, he'd got a ringer in, and um, uh, they, uh, Audi, you know, big team in Formula E, he's, you know, Daniel Apt has been in Formula E since its inception, um, decided that his services were no longer needed with the, with the team. So a huge penalty for, I mean, I certainly wouldn't put it in the same league as what Kyle Larson did, but yeah. No, whatever. certainly not, but this is, this is the, you know, the third person to have really uh, real world repercussions off of, you know, uh, you know, video game racing. Joey, 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 what are your thoughts on this? I mean, there's there's two sides to it, right? Like some people can look at it like a video game. Some people look at it uh, a simulation. I think the one thing that is undisputed in the entire argument is that you are still, no matter what, representing a brand in the public eye. And whether that's, you know, going and doing autograph session, whether that's uh, pl- sitting in front of Twitch and, pl- and and literally racing a sim or or teaching cooking lessons, you know, just for the hell of it. I, I think at the end of the day, you are still representing a brand. And because of that, the brand's going to hold you accountable. And I think at the end of the day, that's really what it comes down to more than thinking about it in a, in a, on a smaller scale. I think the bigger level of it, it and really the impacts of it, when you, when you think about what happened to Bubba Wallace Jr. and, and Kyle Larson and, and their issues, uh, this is a very similar thing where it really falls on to how the brand feels it was represented. And as such, discipline action was taken. And is it, is it dumb in, in some respects? Um, maybe. But at the same time, when you're invested in somebody with millions of dollars, uh, you can kind of think what you want. Uh, if we didn't have a pandemic and people weren't at home playing video games and, and social distancing and, and letting us into their daily lives, we'd be none the wiser. But some of that is because the brand has pushed for that kind of exposure during this time. And as such, they want to continue to be represented because, I mean, after all, they're the ones cutting the checks. So, um, I mean, that's kind of take from it. I think if he'd been more open about it, I don't think it'd have been such an issue. Don't but, disagree. You know, in, in his statement, he's like, oh, it was a joke. I was going to tell everybody. Yeah, I'm not 100% convinced by that part of it. But um, I, I think if it had been like, oh, surprise, it wasn't me, you know, the brand could have got even more you know, publicity from that in a positive way. And, you know, I'm going to donate my winnings to the, you know, charity, whatever. And, oh, you know, and, and if Audi had been in on it, in on it, it's one of those things that probably if he'd told them, they may well have been in on it beforehand. But um, Exactly. Yeah. I totally yeah it, it sounded like he just handled it poorly. So, so speaking of the, of the, of the um, you know, virtual racing. So we had a, a couple guys you might know, like Mario Andretti and Emerson was probably compete in a, uh, race, uh, you know, this weekend on Memorial Day weekend. So, uh, any you guys watch that? See how that came out? I thought that was going to be on Sunday for whatever reason. Then I come out to find out, like, on Saturday that it already happened. I was like, ah, dang, damn it, I missed it. Because I was actually looking forward to seeing that one. But 
life happens. I, it was definitely interesting to see how these legend guys have done. And so far, we're seeing those overall, whether it's an Adrian Fernandez or a Jensen Button. It's good to see a racing league that has been pretty civil <laughs> compared to every other major ones out there, to say the least. I mean, Luis is the first 20-something-year-old I've ever heard say Dag Nabbit at this stage. <laughs> 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 uh, Dag Nabbit. I got to keep it PG, guys. So. But uh, clearly, I don't care about that. Um, no, I I saw the Fernando Alonso one, which, you know, I guess virtually he's got his triple crown. But, uh, like, I just uh, – apparently there was some impressiveness with guys like Mario, who even though he was, like, running a lap down, once he started to get into a groove of things, was keeping up with the leaders. So – he adapted to sim racing fairly well, which is uh, encouraging. Uh, I think we all know if you threw him into a regular car, he'd probably still be able to go out there and keep up. So uh, <laughs> the guy just doesn't know how to slow down. That's that's no just, man. The, the, the dude is 80 years old and he does slow down. It's yeah, like, so, uh, it's like but, Mar- every time I see him, he's like, got got to get in that two seater. Yep. Yeah, he's still pushing it on the edge. Just like look no further with Texas, right, where he spun the thing, right? Yeah. Mm. But, you know, I tell you this is that y'all, y'all, this kind of goes into a weird territory subject, but I was talking to a few people the other day about that, uh, Alonzo win at Indy. And the one thing that was kind of funny is that people were trying to get some chatter going, all this, and maybe this is just the pessimist in me. I, I'm not going to pretend that I was around when Graham Hill was racing. Uh, I literally was not born until 1985. So oh. there you go. People date myself. But uh, the fact that people can look at the Alonzo situation with the triple crown and like, yeah, does he put himself in rarefied air? Yeah. But does the triple crown hold a uh, better question? Does the Lamar hold as much weight anymore of being a race winner when it comes down to just four cars that have a chance to win because I, I mean, you look at how it was when Graham Hill was racing. He had that, that field was deep and there was at least 50 cars that could have gotten overall victory at that point. And I think um, it's a little disillusioned now, in my opinion, maybe just a little bit. Um, so I don't know. There's just kind of a random thought that I wanted to just and, and, conversation. And when it was with Toyota, you know, to, you know, Alonso was probably earning more for that Le Mans than all the other Toyota drivers put together. So they, there was no way he wasn't going to win. If that car was running at the end of the race, he was going to win it. Yeah. And, you know, and I... No, I, I think, think, you know, to, to your point, back in the 60s or 70s, Le Mans was uh, the pinnacle of racing. And you had, like you said, 40, 50 cars coming in there, all different. All, you know what, you know... Like, like this day and age, you got uh, who's in the, um, you know, the, the top series. Well, I mean, top, even better. The top class, right? Even oh, better, BOP wasn't a thing. Yeah, yeah. No. So, so I, I mean, you know, if you, if you look at the guys that have a Lamar class win, right? But nobody, nobody, you know, can't say class win as a win of Lamar, right? But, uh, you know, Ganassi got a class win of Lamar last year. So, but nobody cares mm. about a class. Oh, if you ask them, I mean, if you ask, if you talk to the guys at Ganassi, they do care. <laughs> no, no, they they do care, but but a class win this day and age, compared to an overall win in the seventies, 
say, say, say you beat you beat Porsche, you beat Ford, you beat Ferrari. You know, I mean, I'm, oh no, for sure, for sure. I mean, if you if you take you know you, you take the mainstream media, you know, um, you know, whoever wins the on, you know, ESPN wouldn't cover it, Fox Sports wouldn't cover it. Never mind a class win, you know. Even you know the automotive and the, the motorsport press, you know, will cover the race winner, uh, you know, the overall winner, whether it's a, a Porsche or a Toyota or you know whoever it is, Audi, uh, back in you know the last ten fifteen years. Um, and then they'll they'll also give a few lines to like the GT winners and the LMP2 winners and stuff like that. But unless you're actually there watching the race on TV, which is great, you know, the coverage that they normally do is actually really really good for a 24 hours but it, it nobody cares horrible as it is to say and i think the the other thing that's kind of that's bo- that's bothersome about this whole deal is nobody ever thinks about juan pablo montoya but juan pablo montoya has been on the cusp of a triple crown for like 16 years like you look at, <laughs> at, at his career yeah. I, from from my generation of of from my time growing up and, and watching racing, uh, watching guys like Michael Andretti, Buddy Lazier, the the Dale Earnhardt's of the world, and and so forth. Uh, I don't know if anyone from a versatility perspective has had an e- a better four year career in motorsports than Juan Pablo Montoya's run from '99 to '03. I mean, kart champion, rookie of the year, Indy 500. Goes and goes to F1 and wins Monaco in like 03. I mean, he's Isn't literally it? he almost knocked out. He could have sit there. He knocked out two thirds of the Triple Crown in a span of, of three years. Like it's yeah. insane. What so, about Jack? Yeah, I mean, Jack, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean uh, all he needs you know? to do is get into a decent LMP1 car and win Le Mans. Yeah, Jack. Yeah, he that's all he Monaco, needs. Though, did he, Jack? Did he win it in '97? I can't remember. I don't know Who? if he won Monaco. Who? Jack. never. One Monaco, to my knowledge. No, but I mean, if you're talking about guys that you know, I mean, obviously what Montoya did was impressive, but you know, Villeneuve went there and won the Formula One World Championship in his second season. Okay, it was with a, you know, the car. It was hard not to win the World Championship in '97. Yep. He could have won it in '96, going into that final race. Yep. But to add on something quick with the Lebov thing, I think there's still some prestige in it but when you see when you look at the competition where it's pretty much invite where there's invites playing mm-hmm. a big political factor on who gets to run where you have only basically champions from across the world like a rick ware winning the lmp2 asian lamar championship they get on at lamar birth and also with formula one being finicky as far as their scheduling to prevent guys to run lamar and also the f1 teams playing a big role in their contracts on not to run lamar after Holcomber, even before Holcomber, after Belloff's death, it's mm-hmm. so much prevent, so much stuff that is prevented where you pretty much have to be out of F1 to even run Lamar these days and hope that you were pretty good to get a competitive ride to be in that yeah. foray. And it was interesting, you know, the the only team, the only company, sorry, that's really done anything on the back of it, I, I'd say, been Audi. You know, definitely in Europe anyway. I don't know what it was like over here, but. When Audi were winning Le Mans, you know, that was part of their advertising for the TV commercials and stuff like that. You know, they they did try to, um, you know, do something off the back of that. But both Porsche and Toyota, I haven't seen any real marketing on the same level that uh, that Audi did when they were winning Le Mans. No, no, that's a good statement, too. I mean, 
I, I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting because talking to a few people, it really feels like the tide started to turn around 2011, 2012. Like, obviously, by then, there was already so few top-level teams that could still compete. But there were still privateer teams like Rebellion who were really in the thick of the fight who could at least have some sort of pace mm -hmm. that if they had reliability – they were right there in the thick of the fight at the end. I mean, hell, they got a podium. I think it was with with Heidfeld and them. That uh, was it. Oh, oh, was it ten? Eleven? Could have been. Sounds about right. Yeah, I don't know. Somewhere is. around there. But Rebellion yeah. was was always the little team in the fight. And I mean, at the time, I think you had eight eight to ten prototypes that could run all the way up until Dieselgate happened. And Dieselgate really is what's what's changed everything. And I think that's why. And oddly enough, when you look at the way IMSA and WEC are right now. They're really at a crossroads where if they can just find rules packages that band together and you can no find clear. some seamless crossover in there and you could actually have some more clarity and some less consistent, you could have less changes on a consistent basis, some stability. I think the sports car world could actually thrive over everything because of the heavy manufacturer involvement and how much prestige manufacturers place into that mm -hmm. uh, as opposed oh, to sure. everything else that we have in racing. So I don't know. I didn't mean to dip us off on a weird side railing subject, <laughs> but it was just kind of something that popped in my head that uh, I just kind of wanted to get everybody's take. But even even now, I think you know the, the concept of a twenty four hour race still captures people's imagination. Yeah, yeah, you absolutely. Know, the, the, the the Coke six hundred, people go, oh my god, it's this is like a five hour NASCAR race. Oh, good grief! Well, you know, stage whereas, racing is six. Yeah, you know, whereas. You know, Le Mans and, and, and Daytona 24 and some of the other that still captures people's imagination because it's it's something different. It's endurance at a different level to what you see with uh, cup racing. Yeah, and I, I certainly think there's a it's almost like the other series are tripper, tripper, tripping over themselves a little bit. And and here is endurance racing with the potential to grasp that void that's being created but the problem is they're going too much there's too much money involved in it and they're going too much down the Formula one route again you know Le Mans, you've got three or four cars that will win every year so why do people watch you know it's like mercedes and ferrari red but you know you've got six teams in Formula one that can win or six cars in Formula one that can win Le Mans, it's even worse you've got four and the reliability these days of these cars as it is in Formula one is so high that the chances of somebody, you know, of a outside winner, you know, taking the title are pretty, pretty remote. Yeah, I mean, I, I to kind of echo that thought about the 24 hour race versus the 600. I don't disagree with you because it is something different. But I will say this. We used to not care about it being 600 miles. We'd watch anyway. And that's because the racing product was good. And, <laughs> True. Yeah. I mean, if you give me the Xfinity race for a 600 miles, we're good. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, it was it was a great show. Like, I mean, cut the downforce, increase the horsepower. Like, what was? And I know I always go back to this. We get on rants on this show uh, <laughs> back in the day, and I would I would complain about everything that had to do with the current structure because I missed the way it was when I was growing up. And maybe that's never coming back. But how are those real tinted glasses? Are they good? <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll keep our fingers crossed about 2022. But 
I'm just at the at that point with the quality of the the product on the cup level. Uh, I was just hoping for something and on the improvement side all around the board. And, and it's only the mile and a halfs that are typically this pack that this yeah. package really ruins. I mean, and I think to equal to that though is like this package probably wouldn't suck so much on mile and a half if you had more tire wear and if you had yeah. an actual cliff. If because the fact yeah. that you could get Alex Bowman on two tires and lead a hundred and something laps on two tires and clean air makes that kind of a difference. We had one lead change in the first like 240 laps under green. And that was when Truex passed Bowman on like lap 228 or 229. And that's because clean air was at such a premium. And you know what? In the old days, I understand that sometimes a guy hits on a setup and he just like wipes the floor with everyone. And I'm one of those people that if the team gets it right, if the driver gets it right, it should be applauded, not penalized by a system that wants to continue to just bring everything closer. And that's, I mean, truthfully, I think that's why you see a rise in IndyCar fans. I mean, obviously the numbers are not comparable to NASCAR, but there's also a reason why NASCAR's lost fans. Um, And I think a lot of that has, has a good portion to do with it. And transparency of the series. I think there's a little bit more transparency, but maybe I'm a little biased. <laughs> no, I totally, I get both, I get both sides of this, but I just leave myself open my, when it comes to this stuff. If I can tell the race is dragging on way too long, then I know there was a problem. That 600 was a prime example, but that's been the past couple 600s as well, honestly. Yeah, like instead of talking about the race, we're just talking about Chase Elliott's, you know, move to, to hit the yeah. pit it's an overtime if his teammate doesn't spin we all know how that race ends yeah Elliott it, coast. so it just but the fact that like that's the only that's the only thing that made anything magnified to where people forgot about the actual racing was just the finish and you know what if if your focus is on the finish then we don't need to run 600 miles anymore you can erase a crown jewel off of the schedule because right quite honestly that you look at social media the other night and I understand that I don't want to get too hung up on social media because I hate social media. But the reality is, is that that's how fans echo their thoughts. And there were so many people that were just so unsatisfied. Like people were like, I waited for NASCAR to come back for this because some people didn't get a chance to catch Darlington. Remember, that race yeah. is in the middle of the week. People got to work for those that were able to return to work. And yeah. So this is this is possibly their second race, more than likely some people's first. And for this to be that, that's a really rough uh, thing to broadcast. Yeah, I didn't think the race was was that bad. But to, to go back to your point on the tires, I think more than I, I think people are going to be careful what they want. If you want a, a tire that has a cliff, that's to my mind that's not going to fix anything because. The teams are good enough and smart enough that they're going to be able to predict where that cliff is, and as soon as and everybody's going to hit the cliff at the same time, so you're just going to have everybody pitting within a lap or two of each other and not really having much impact. What I think you need is a car setup and geometry on the car and the suspension setup and a compound that can teach the drivers to manage the tires. Better well, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And That's... make it unpredictable. So you could have a guy that, you know, can go out and thrush a set of tires and set qualifying laps for 20 laps. And there's another guy who can say, well, you know what? My car's better on long run. So I'm going to, similar to what we were talking about earlier with Brad Kozlowski, we can sit there and we can go for 40 laps on a set of tires. But these, this guy's got to go out there, you know, almost like Days of Thunder style, you know, 
Um, you, you need a tire that the drivers can drive or they can manage. They need a very flexible tire. Um, and also, you know, maybe throw, and I, you, you can never do this deliberately, but sometimes the manufacturer or Goodyear in this instance, their tolerances are very, very fine and very, very marginal when it comes to manufacturing processes. Now, I'm not saying you throw in joker sets of tires in there because I think that's wrong. But if they weren't quite so fine tolerances with their tire manufacturing, then it, it would create again. But they're always going to, because Goodyear, you know, who was it? For you? Was it uh, Tony Stewart that was his favourite pastime was blasting Goodyear for the quality of their tires? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. But I, I will I will say this is that whenever I say a cliff, I more or less what I was meaning to say, and you did it in more of the casual engineer talk, and I did it in definitely the the less smarty way of saying it. But uh, definitely something that can be managed because I think that if you can just find ways to just make sure that you put it back in the driver's hands to make talent mm-hmm. separate the field, that's I think that's ultimately what especially us within the racing industry, like we get a chance to see what these guys' talent is up close. Because we get to talk to the engineers, we get to talk to the crew chiefs, we get to we get to see how things transpire over over the course of testing and practice and all this. But it doesn't always translate to the race because of all the different other details that are a part of this. And I, at the end of the day, you know, certain guys got way more talent and they can't really shine because of the limitations. And I feel like kind of to your point about tire management, I think back to. You know, Matt Kenseth in the early days when he was in the 17 with Robbie Reiser, they were flawless at being able. They were not the team that would go out and be like Ryan Newman and go get a dozen poles <laughs> a year. Yeah. But they would be the ones that would be able to continue to methodically work and work. And they weren't there for the short runs, but they were there for the late runs. And I, I feel like if we could find some semblance of that, I feel like we would be in a really good place. Yeah. Oh, no, you, tell it. I mean, you know, you throw around other possibilities. You know, one of the things when I used to, you know, do a lot of the strategy work on the Xfinity series, that was a big limit. You were limited on the number of sets of tires you had. Yeah. Whereas in Cup, pretty much on Cup racing, you've got more sets of tires than you can shake a stick at. Mm-hmm. You know, it was actually that was what won Denny Hamlin the, uh, the that second Darlington race, wasn't it? The fact that he had to stay out because he had no more new tires at the end of the race there, and then the rain came. But um, you know, limit them a little bit more on the sets of tires. The problem is, you know, the teams won't vote for that because they, um, you know, they'll see that as a, you know, a throwing a, a variable in that they want to reduce. And the teams, especially the big teams, the Hendricks, the Joe Gibbs, the guys like that, they want to reduce the number of variables so they get a guaranteed return on their investment. The smaller teams obviously want to increase the variables because they think, hey, we could get a win for half of the budget that we normally use or whatever. Yeah, I'd be very curious if they even used half of their sets of tires in the Coke 600, just given the life. I mean, you were looking at what, what was the what was it like a three tenths to to half a second difference from new yeah, set to, to set that a lot was of like people using doing two tire changes. Now, and I didn't look at it. I don't know if anybody else noticed, but did anybody? I think there was there was one. I know it was in the first stage anyway. There was a caution with like ten laps to go before the end of the first stage. And a lot of guys went and did it right sides only. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of those guys pitted again at the end of the stage. Did anybody do left sides only or did everybody do four? Because I remember doing some modeling on this in the past. And, you know, doing rights and then lefts, 
you didn't see much drop off. It was an, it was a far faster pit stop. It was like eight seconds or seven seconds rather than twelve. And under a caution, five seconds faster pit stop under caution could be a huge number of places. That's a good question, actually. I'd be very fascinated. I mean, I don't know if Luis was paying that much attention. I certainly wasn't. Uh, yeah. <laughs> It'll be interesting. All that tech stuff is complicated for me. Yeah, I don't have access to all the. You know, I used to be able to look at all that real time and see who's taken what, and because um, they they have a little um, NASCAR have their little monitoring box inside all these cars, and there's an um, inclination sensor on it, so you can tell whether the car's done four four tires or two, because of the way the car gets tipped. So when you were doing like looking at the the raw data feed uh, for strategy from NASCAR, you'd be able to tell straight away who's taken two and who's taken four. Yeah, see, and I I was sitting there thinking to myself during that race, like I think it was somewhere around lap. I keep wanting to say lap 40 is where the any type of fall off would show, and it would be roughly three tenths versus Darlington, where after 40 laps you could be looking at a two second gap in the delta. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like my goodness, like and and I love that because then you have to choose: do you stay out? Do you do clean air? Kind of like the you know, do do you wait it out the process or? You know, do you, do you gamble, come in, and just, like, push like hell on the way out? It And in many ways, that's that's one of the elements, and I think you could probably attest this. That's one of the fascinations with Formula One, right? Because some guys start on medium, some guys start on, on super soft. Yeah. yeah. And they meet somewhere in the middle, but you're not seeing a tenth here and two tenths they're taking out. You're seeing chunks of, like, eight tenths of a second at times in F1. And so you know that if they can keep on that pace, they're there. But can the tire last at that pace before they get a chance to get a hold of the leader if they're running different compounds. There's all sorts of fascinations like that, and I wish we had some of those elements in play here. Um, Did NASCAR try doing oh, multiple tire compound a few years ago? I can't at remember. the All-Star before race, before. we don't talk about that. Okay. <laughs> they, yeah. they, they failed miserably. But it was that because of the execution rather than the idea, though. They did it at an oval, yeah, and they, yeah. they found out. like was it, Wasn't it green sidewall tires? Or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I think I so. But all, there were so many all-star formats that has just went into similar results. Like, I know Keslowski's idea wasn't necessarily popular. And Chase Elliott just did the bow in front of my TV screen since he won the truck race. At Charlotte got the bounty. He has, money. yeah. Got a, got a new all-star race idea. First time since 2018 that Kyle Busch hasn't won a truck race. Yep. Yeah, I've got a new... I've got a new all-star race idea. What is it? We run an actual old-school format of a full, like, length race without stages. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to bring back the elimination. Yeah, 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 I thought you were going to bring up something new instead of something old, but that's nice. I mean, we get stage racing every week. I don't know what the hell we need the all-star race for, but yeah. I don't know. I Anyway, my mind's bouncing off the walls now. This is what you get at uh, at this hour whenever I'm thinking of just random things staring at the ceiling. All right, guys, well, we are just about out of time. So I'll give you, uh, each of one of you one moment to give a, a final parting thought for the evening. And I'll start with you, Joey. Oh, gosh, you put me on the spot. Uh, or I, I could start with Louise. I mean, I, I got this. My final thought of the evening was that it was uh, very welcome to come back, uh, share a little bit of time with you guys, shoot the you-know-what, and just kind of uh, honestly, it it just feels good 
I know the world's in kind of a weird, strange place, and there's there's uncomfortable levels anywhere you go with with where people are going and how things are happening. But I think at the end of the day, having racing come back has really helped fire things up and uh, brings back something that's at least fun to look forward to. All right, man. Good thought, Joey. Yep. Uh, Louise, Louise. Yeah. Uh, final thought for the night. Yeah, I say for sure that. I'm looking forward to once open wheel racing gets going because I know once that gets going, I think it's going to bring a lot of uplifting and upbringing overall because I've just been eager to get that into car season going for a long, long time now. <laughs> yeah, man. Road America going to have some fans there. It's going to be awesome. Richard? Yeah. Um, Joey, shoot, do you know what? No, I don't know. Do you want to explain that a bit more? <laughs> Say that again? No, it, it's... You, when you were saying shoot the shoot the you know what? No, I, I don't know. Do you want to explain that? No. Um, I don't know. If, <laughs> I, Frank, am I allowed to say that on the air? Uh, I mean, okay. Kind of the so, way. so yeah, Richard, Joe was going to say <laughs> shoot the shit. Okay. Ah, oh, there you go. There you go. All right, there you go. Um, but uh, no, it, it's great to be back to some you know racing and a little bit of a you know semblance of normality from a racing standpoint. And I think it's great you know, especially on the cup racing, with so many races. I mean, you know, there's. Been last three nights has been pretty entertaining races. There's another one tomorrow night, and um, yeah, no, it's good. All What's right, your final so, thought, Frank. Man, I just like I was so bummed out spending Memorial Day weekend working. Last time I worked on Memorial Day weekend was sometime in the nineties, uh, because I've always been at the track. So uh, you know. It is what it is. It's nice seeing some NASCAR stuff, um, but I, I cannot wait till the world gets back to normal. That, that, it's very that, weird. It's very, very weird. More very, very weird. Very weird. Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, is it May yet? Uh, is it August yet? Uh, might be October till we get to, to the race. But either way, I'll be there at Speedway uh, when we can. So, uh, till then. I want to thank you, Luis, Joey, uh, Richard. I want to thank uh, Ubuzu Radio Network and um, Spreaker and uh, iHeartRadio and all you guys that carry us. And until next week, good night. W-H-O-O-B-A-Z-O-O-B-A-Z-O-O-B-A-Z-O-B-A-Z-O-B-A-Z-O-B-A-Z-O-B-A-Z-O-B-A-Z-O-B-A-Z-O-B-A-Z-